in couples or even in family groupings. And as you came in the door, slowly they all turned to look at you as you found a place to sit. Maybe you'd think that you missed the sign outside the church that said, Presbyterian Church. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Chris said I shouldn't use that joke. <laughs> or maybe you'd hope that you were still in bed and this was some sort of nightmare. And I apologise if you're going to have nightmares after that particular one. And maybe uh, you'd feel as if you were in a horror movie. And you know, it could have been worse. You could have walked in and they were all feet. All feet in socks that could not be changed because there were no hands. And maybe you'd be thankful that you weren't all noses. Definitely you'd feel out of place and like you didn't belong. Okay, that's kind of an absurd picture, right? But Paul uses that image to jolt the people in the church at Corinth who thought everyone should have the same gift as they did and to start to show them that the church needs a whole range of gifts given by one spirit so that it can function as the body of Christ. All the gifts and all the people were needed, essential and valued, like all the parts of a human body are needed and need to work together in unity and unison for the body to function. Between Easter and Pentecost this year, we are looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the way we're doing that is we're going through the passages in the New Testament that have a list of those gifts mentioned. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. And we're seeing what they say to us about the Holy Spirit in our midst about being church together and how we are all given gifts that God has given us by his spirit and how we are to use them. The spirit that God has given to all of us, not just the super spiritual ones, but all of us together. And Corinth was a church where there were many problems and issues. In fact, there were so many that it actually gives me hope for the church today because we're not as bad as they were then. It was broken into factions following this leader or that leader. And spiritual gifts, particularly the more spectacular ones, and speaking in tongues in particular, were seen as a sign that your particular group was more spiritual than the other groups. See, we've, we've got these spectacular gifts. We're more spiritual than you are. Na, 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 na. Maybe it had even got down to that level, you know? And uh, he'd uh, first, um, and so Paul writes to address these problems, the problem of disunity, and answer issues which the Corinthians themselves had for these splits. And the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is that Paul was dealing with the issues to do with public worship. He'd praised the Corinthians for the way in which they'd kept the Christian tradition of equality between men and women in leading worship. Okay, and he'd encouraged them to viva la difference. That there was a difference given by God for the church. He'd challenged them about the way that they had conformed to their social norms when it came to treating or rather mistreating the poor and the slaves 
at the Lord's table. The rich got together and ate a meal uh, in, their, in their worship services. But the, the slaves couldn't get there till they were dismissed and had finished their work. So the people who needed it most often missed out. And then he starts to talk about the issue of gifts and in particular the use of tongues in public worship. Corinthians had focused on spiritual manifestations and particularly the gift of tongues as a sign of having arrived spiritually to the point that the other gifts were not being acknowledged. And worship, as we'll see when we look at chapter 14 uh, next week, had become chaotic and unintelligible. And he started dealing with this issue by going back to first principles. First principles about God. That God was unlike the mute pagan idols that the Corinthians had worshipped before their conversion, who were not able to speak. Our God is able to speak move and move to and through his people in a variety of ways by the Holy Spirit. Many gifts, but one spirit. Many services, but one Lord. Many works, but one God, which is what Enosa was looking at a couple uh, last week. And now he goes on, then goes on to talk about first principles of what it means to be God's people, what it means to be the church. And he starts by saying that just like a body, one human body is made up of many parts, so it is with Christ. And you know, this image was not unique to Paul. Uh, Roman orators used this metaphor to talk about the body politic in their society as well, that the Roman society was one body. But when the Roman orators used it, it was to reinforce that, the, yes, there was some hierarchy in society, that everybody had a part and you needed to stick in that part that you had. There was the emperor, and then everybody was under the emperor, and those who were lower down, the poor and the slaves, boy, you need to stay in your place. And Paul has to combat that underlying understanding in the church in Corinth. He says, in the kingdom of God, you can't say because you're not this or you're not that, you don't belong or you're not important. Neither can you say that you don't need each other. Paul says, in the kingdom of God, we are all equal. We are all interdependent. He affirms our equality by saying, we've all been baptized by the same spirit into Christ. We've all drunk the same spirit, both Greek and Jew, slave and free. Now, sadly, this connection between spirit and baptism has been a source of tension and division in the church. Some have seen baptism in the spirit as a second or as a separate experience than being saved and being baptized into Christ. It's almost been used totally contra to the context here as a way of saying, if you don't experience things like the way I experience them, if you don't get the, the same gift that I've got, then somehow you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And in the 1980s and into the 1990s, the Pentecostal and Charismatics kind of had that thing of, if you didn't speak in tongues, then you were kind of, you hadn't made it. Who Put your hands up if you were made to feel small because of that in the past. Yeah, there's a few, you know, you have, eh, right? Well, Paul would have said, that's, you know, that's manure. It might make roses grow, but it won't make churches grow. You know? Boy, I've got off. <laughs> um, and, you know, others have focused on baptism and, and not 
acknowledged the, the importance of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, central to our unity about being the people of God together is that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit as he promised he would to dwell within us in all who would come and know him as Lord and Saviour. As we come to Christ, we have been drenched in his Spirit. We live and sustain our lives each day by the Spirit of God living within us. We are God's spirited people. Now, I'm always happy to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not because they missed out, but because in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, be filled, and then because of the Greek tense of the word used there, it means be filled and keep on being filled. There's a real sense of that continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not because we didn't get it when we were baptized or saved, but because, you know, I want people to know more and more of God's presence in our lives, to be open, uh, and it's open, and it's for all of us that we might know more of the Spirit's presence and working in our lives. And we need to pray to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. You know why? Well, we leak, don't we? You know, we leak. We kind of just sort of, you know, yeah. Paul likens what is happening in the church at Corinth to the crazy notion that eyes and ears and noses would say to each other, because you're not like me, uh-uh, you don't belong to the body. And Paul then brings that home in a series of rhetorical questions in verse 17. The emphasis is that we are all one body, made up of different parts. Just because you are different, you're still part of the body. Because God's spirit dwells in you. Because Christ promised it would. And then he flips things on his head and says that no part can say that unless you're like me, that you can't be part of the body. He's getting to the crux of the things here, particularly with the spiritual ones at Corinth who were fixated on the gift of tongues as a badge that they had arrived spiritually. No, says Paul, we all have a part to play. We are all interdependent on each other. We have all been given gifts to glorify God and we need eyes and ears and hands and feet to see and hear and go and care. In fact, says Paul, often the weaker parts, and I wonder here if he's using the, the, the language of the spiritual ones, saying, oh, they're weaker than we are because they're not like us. He's using that here to say, well, in actual fact, you know, they are the ones that uh, are indispensable. They may be less honourable parts, but they need to be treated with uh, special honour. Just not the ones that seem miraculous like tongues or the upfront ones like prophecy and teaching, but it's the ones like helps and administration. And you know, the one thing that COVID has taught us is that the people we did not consider to be important in society were actually the most important. Shelf stackers and supermarket workers became our heroes, Right? It kind of gives a good illustration of what Paul's talking about. In the end, says Paul, it was God who put all these different things together to work as they do. So it is with the church. And the result is that instead of wanting to do away with this bit or that bit, that we have an equal concern for each part. We enter into the joys and sorrows of each person. And, you know, just like an injury can affect the whole of the body, uh, you know, the whole of the body is needed to heal it. If one part is given honour, then the whole body rejoices. Now, the first thing I noticed about my wife, Chris, was her sparkly eyes. 
her smiley eyes. And if I say to her, Chris, I love your beautiful eyes, it's not just her eyes that sparkle and twinkle that little bit more, but her cheeks blush, her lips curl upwards in a smile. Her heart beats a little faster. And, and I just wanted to hear a little chuckle from the back room where she's doing Zoom. But she'll laugh. She's laughing. There we go. <laughs> so it is with the body of Christ. We share each other's joy and praise and sorrows. And having established this principle, Paul again then has a list of spiritual gifts. One that's slightly different than the one that was earlier in this chapter. And some have seen a sort of hierarchy in the way Paul lists the gifts by saying, firstly, secondly, etc. But this is not the case because that actually goes against the teaching that Paul has just given. It's not a hierarchy here. Neither is it a list of offices or positions within the church. It's gifts that are given for the common good. The first uh, three can surprisingly be seen as people who uh, may exercise uh, a particular gift on a regular basis. And the rest of the gifts that, uh, that are listed are more ministries within the church. And that use of numeracy on, uh, for the first three uh, probably talks about order rather than importance. Paul had said that as an apostle... He had laid the foundation that others built on. He had come first, not first in hierarchy, but first in as much as being a church planter. And there's debate in the church about what is apostolic ministry today. And I tend to see it as a church planter or a missionary who brings the gospel and plants something new, not as an authoritative figure who needs to be uh, listened to and obeyed. Secondly, prophets. And again, they are people who make the timeless word of God timely. They speak God's word in a timely manner. The Old Testament prophets were not innovators. Rather, they took the Sinai covenant, the relationship between Israel and, and their God, and applied it to the situations that Israel found themselves in their times. And just like a New Testament prophet would take the gospel and apply it to where the church and society is at, now. And uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, gives us a great example of what New Testament prophecy is. Because he starts off by saying, Jesus died according to scriptures. Jesus was raised to life again according to scriptures. And then begins to unpack that for the Corinthians and the Corinthian church who thought that they had made it and that they were these supernatural angelic beings. He says, it's not the case. You know, there will be a time when we do have these resurrection bodies, but it's not now. Right. Teachers in the Old Testament were always there, but they came to the fore in the return from the exile where they teach people who did not know God's law what it is. And you can read that in books like Ezra where, you know, the, the people gather and for three days they're taught the law. Um, they, it's that ongoing ministry of explaining and helping people understand and apply the word of God. And then Paul moves on to talk about other gifts. Healing and miracles are mentioned without faith this time, which was in the first list, and in the opposite order to the previous list, so there isn't any sense of hierarchy. 
And I actually wonder if these two being together doesn't also allow for a diversity of what healing means, that it incorporates both people who are gifted at medicine and are able to use that to heal as well as those who pray and see God move in the miraculous. A gifted doctor is gifted by the Holy Spirit, you know, as well as somebody who seems to have that ministry of praying for people and seeing them healed. Helping is often seen as people who do odd jobs around the place and don't mind doing the dishes after an event. But the idea in the passage is of helping other people. It's about pastoral care. Sometimes I think we can get service, which we're all called to do, and helping mixed up. At St. John's in Rotorua, uh, we had a Christmas dinner and we'd feed up between 100 and 200 people for Christmas dinner each year. And we had uh, somebody from a local uh, Pentecostal church come along just to see what we were doing because they thought they'd do the same thing as we were, you see. And, and afterwards, our, our session clerk said, said to this woman who'd come to have a, a look and see what was going on, oh, would you like to come and help us do the dishes? And her reply was, oh, no, that's not my gift. We get gift and service mixed up. We're all called to serve, you know. Now would be a time to, to put the morning tea roster around. <laughs> and the NIV translates the next gift as guidance. In another translation, it's called administration. The NIV wants to pick up the idea in the Greek word of seeing the way forward. And we might think of administration as just keeping things going, but here the idea of, is working one way forward. It's about leadership. Now, as a big picture thinker and as a visionary kind of person, I really value people who can take a vision and follow the practical steps to make it a reality because I need those kind of people. I find it frustrating working with them, but that's where that better way that Paul finished this, this chapter talking about really comes in love. And then Paul puts in different types of tongues. And with this coming last, people have often said that Paul's downplaying this gift, that it's not important. But he's in actual fact putting it last because it was the trouble gift. And he wants to balance the emphasis that some were putting on it. All the way through, Paul acknowledges it as a genuine gift and that it should be used. And that, it be, uh, that it's useful to the uh, that, um that it's, it's, it's useful for the individual, uh, but its usefulness to the whole body is when it becomes prophecy, when it is interpreted. Now, I've experienced in that, that in my life. I believe God has given me the gift of speaking in tongues. And I, at, a, at, a, at a, a service one time, we were praying for this lady, me and another woman were praying for her, and I didn't know what to pray. So I said, look, do you mind if I pray in tongues? And so I prayed for her in tongues. And then the other woman that we were praying for suddenly prayed this prayer which was totally different from the direction that we were going because I had just prayed in her native language. She understood it. And we were able to pray specifically for what was at the heart of the situation. Yeah. Glory to God. Paul ties it all together to show that there is unity and diversity by asking does everyone have all these gifts? Does everybody do this? Does everybody do that? Which the answer should be, no. Affirming that we need each other and that everybody has a valuable part to play. We all do. Well, how does this apply to us here and now?
Firstly, that as the new people of God, we are one people. That just like in creation with its wonderful abundance of diversity of life, so it is with God's new creation. God is wanting his people to be teeming with a diverse abundance of the Spirit's presence and gifts given and talents. In the new people of God, it's not about status or having arrived. It's not about my ministry or my gift. It's about humble service and caring for each other. And God has given us gifts to empower us to do that. Secondly, Paul's metaphor of the body points to the church as organic, not an organization. And we spend a lot of time and energy keeping the institution and the organization, the buildings and the bureaucracy of what we perceive as being church going. And I don't want to lessen the work and the sacrifice that has gone into what we have here. But I'm concerned that maintaining it is often seen as a priority over ministry and caring and loving each other and the people beyond our walls that God calls us to. We are the church. You and I. We embody Christ in the world. And finally, Paul finishes his argument here by telling people two things. The first is to seek the greater gifts. And we can think of church as a consumer product or a spectator sport. It's often been said that church is kind of like a rugby match, you know, uh, uh, 30 people, or these days it's 46 people in, in, in great need of rest, being watched by 30,000 people in dire need of exercise. You know? But it's about being a functioning body where we all play our part. Gordon Fee says that in some churches the focus is on cerebral gifts like teaching, etc., and others focus on the more sort of spiritual or the charismatic gifts. But we need both. In fact, they're all charismatic. They are all gracious gifts given by the same Spirit. And Paul encourages us all to seek gifts that can be used, to seek ways to serve and care and build up the church. Greater does not mean status or superior. But as in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Seeking the greater gifts is seeking to be more useful, to build up the church. It's not what the spiritual ones at Corinth were doing as a sign of their spirituality, but because of the better way that Paul now turns to talk of, the way of love. Let's pray.